0: Thank you so much worship team and daughter. That was awesome, that was really wonderful. Can we thank uh, Beth and the music team for their ministry to us each Sunday? It was really, I was really ministered to and not just because she's my daughter, but just as a worship team. Well, good morning. Good morning, morning. Hope you all are doing well. Uh, a few years ago, uh, my wife is a social worker, and uh, Brain Care Alliance, she is, uh, works for a company related uh, to an organization, Brain Care and so forth, and Brain Care Alliance was doing a fundraiser, and that fundraiser was inviting folks uh, to get donations and to hike to the top of Pikes Peak. Yeah, so it's kind of a little bit of a challenge, and we decided that we would uh, take on that challenge, and so we started at like 5 o'clock in the morning. It was dark out, and with a group of folks, and we headed up Pikes Peak. And uh, we had been kind of uh, preparing and exercising for that uh, a wee bit, and it took, I want to get this right if I she's going to correct me if I get it wrong. but it took it's about 13 and a half miles to the top of Pikes Peak, right? And it took us five hours to make the first 10 miles, right? So we were up there and we're feeling good. It was those last three and a half miles that was killer, right? Um, Some of you know what I'm talking about, but the altitude is high, and it's getting steeper and steeper, and then you've already hiked 10 miles, and so it took us five hours to do the final three and a half miles. Each of us were regretting the decision that we've made and had not done that since, But the payoff was pretty profound, right? We had hiked this long time, uh, pretty far, 13 and a half miles, and yet to get to the top of Pikes Peak and that sense of accomplishment, yes, but also the view from Pikes Peak was amazing. We were noting the view this morning, right? How God just dusted with snow uh, the mountains. Incredible. We get to live in a postcard, right? But also the view from the top of Pikes Peak was gorgeous. So all five minutes that I was conscious and awake, I really took it in at that moment. We've been journeying through the book of Romans, and our journey is a little bit like that. Right? So I, I've told you that Romans is the theological equivalent of a 14er, right? Of the, the Himalayas, where, where uh, Paul is brilliantly preparing and knitting together this incredible view of the gospel, the love of God, how much he loves us, how we can receive that and enter into the gospel and walk in that way. But these last couple of weeks, right? We've not been to the Pikes Peak, the, the top, that view. We've had to walk through a pretty challenging journey as he has knit together a picture. Before he gets to the gospel, what Paul has done is he's knit together this view of our standing, of the state of our soul, of our sin, and it's been difficult. It's been somewhat challenging. It's been Uh, some would say intimidating, to look at a holy and righteous God and then to really look at who we are. Paul has been laying out a standing for a human race. And he's been talking about what we've called this, this spiral of sin. That our soul, if we really think about that day, that we will stand before God and give an account of who we are and what we've done. And if we incorporate, as we talked about the last couple weeks, if we talk about the words of Jesus, when, when it's not just actions that matter, but it's our thought life that matters. That that will give an account of our thought life. Also, that we will, as Jesus says, give an account of every careless word. That that will, that will weigh on the scale in a significant way. And then we get to our actions. And, and even though most of us, it's, it's human nature to think, you know what, we're, we're pretty good people and we're doing okay. And the scales of, of justice and, and, and as we stand before God, we're okay. When we've realized, when we've really believed the testimony of scripture about the state of our soul, we've realized we're in trouble. That we stand before God and, and we, we used, I'm going to decide to call this the hippopotamus effect, right? We've got a picture up there. We've talked about the scale. We, we think we're doing okay, but the side, there's sin and righteousness. And righteousness is like that little Yorkshire puppy, right? And God looks at our righteousness and goes, isn't that cute? And he looks at our sin and we realize that there's a hippopotamus effect. If, we're really, if we really do have to give an account of every word of our hearts and our actions. Paul has been leading us up, scaling the mountain in this way because he wants us to be able to see the depths of the gospel. And so he's gonna conclude in, in, in Romans uh, chapter one and chapter two and the first part of chapter three, he says this, there is therefore no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even One, If we really believe, if if we really view a holy and righteous and just God that cares about our sin. And if we really take that deep look about who we are. We feel it, we, we know it's true. And the question is. You could call it also a, the hippopotamus dilemma. What are we going to do? What, if, there, if we really have that standing of the scale, then that means there's, there's no streets of gold, no eternal life with God, right? We, we are not destined and objects of love and grace to live with him for eternity. But the alternative an eternity of of separation and we're apart. What will we do? And that's what he is setting us up for. He's wanting us to get, he's wanting us to understand the scales of judgment that we stand upon. He's wanting us to understand That by nature, our rebellion, we are objects of wrath, powerless to do anything about it. And if we get that, if we lean into that, then we're really going to be able to hear the true gospel, the meaning of the gospel. Friends, these last couple of weeks, we've been going up and scaling the mountain, and it's been hard And yet now I want to encourage you this morning to turn around and take a look from the top of Pikes Peak and look at the gospel. Look at the depths of the gospel and the depths of God's love. That's what these passages, if you would turn with me to Romans 3, we're going to attempt to do and we're going to try and look at the the gospel with three portraits of grace. We're in Romans chapter three, verse 21. Right after some of your Bibles have no one is righteous, that section, we are through that section. And now righteousness through faith, Romans three, starting at verse 21. Says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify, the, this righteousness is given. Mindful of that word given, not earned. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Paul, there is a grouping of some profound theological words. If you have your own Bible, I'd like to highlight three words. The first word would you highlight is in verse 24, redemption. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Verse 24, 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Be a second word you'd want to highlight or circle. Atonement. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Not that he didn't care about sin but he was building towards Christ. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. That third word would be justifies. Highlight or circle justifies in verse 26. Now verse 27. Where then is boasting... Is it excluded? Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because the law that requires faith. We maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God a God of Jews only? Is he not only the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. That's clear, right? I don't really need to preach into that. (laughs) I can feel from you. What is Paul talking about? Let's pray, can we? So, Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear these incredibly profound truths of your Word, Lord? Uh, it's it's beyond our limitations. Holy Spirit, would you help us to see, Lord? Amen. In this amazing passages of Scripture, we have Paul bringing together some incredible theological terms, and uh, they can be super challenging and yet incredibly beautiful if we get our heads around them. And so what I'd like to do is paint three pictures pictures uh, equates to a thousand words, right? Three pictures that these three profound words can create and help us to see and help us to understand the gospel. And that first picture or portrait is rooted in this word that is in verse 27, redemption, 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 Right, has to do with the the picture that this word is connected to, is the idea. Or you can find this word, especially in Paul's time, as the slave market. I know it's a little bit foreign to us in the United States, um, but it, would you think with me and, and, and paint with your mind this idea? If you've if if you've seen any of the movies uh, that are, are about slavery, this idea that on that. a a horrible part of the human race was that we would enslave one another and sell one another. And that was happening uh, at the time of Paul, still unfortunately happening today in our world. But would you imagine for a moment this idea of slavery and a slave on the slave block in chains where they're auctioning off people as slaves, right? Redemption is a word. Look at verse 24. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Scripture often talks about sin and the power of sin, that when we sin, we're introducing A power that is at work in our lives. A very real power. We can relate to Paul later in Romans. He'll say, talking about this power of sin, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I know I should do, that's what I, or those I shouldn't do, that's exactly what I do. He's talking about the power of sin. If you've ever struggled with any kind of addiction, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? If you've ever said, fasting is a good example. You're trying not to do something, but there's this pull, there's this lingering there's this power within us if you struggle with something like anger or gossip and lust and you're like okay God I am not going to do that now and yet you do it the next day that's the power of sin in our lives and there's a power that God had to do. And, and, and part of the human nature, scripture talks about sin, is that sin isn't just this neutral thing, but there is a bondage of sin. It's like the chains of that slave standing so we can't run away. We want to, we want to get away, but the chains are keeping us there. There. There's this incredible story in the Old Testament, a prophet named Hosea, and God tells him to marry a woman, uh, very unfortunate name for a woman, Gomer, that's her name. It uh, throws me every time I preach on uh, on this, but so a very unfortunate name, and he knows that Gomer is, uh, she's a little bit of a wild child. She's a lot of a wild child. So Hosea marries Gomer, and they have kids, and then Gomer is filled with with, with these passions and these lusts and the power of sin, and Gomer leaves her husband, Prophet Hosea, and she whatever you want to call it, sows her wild oats. She, she lives that life uh, uh, of her lusts, of her desires, of her pursuits away, leaving her husband, leaving her children. And, and she's pursuing this to such a degree that she finds herself actually as a slave in, in the context, right? So she's, she's uh, adulterous, uh, she's living this passion, her life has spiraled down, and, and she falls to this place where she loses even her freedom, and she becomes enslaved. We don't know the details of the enslavement, but the, she's there. And her waywardness, her adultery becomes a picture of God's people. And that God is Hosea in the picture and Gomer is really Israel and you and I. And that rebellion and that wayward, we, though we were created in his image and for his glory and honor and purposes, right? We turned away and we've pursued other things, other gods, our lusts, so much that we've become enslaved and in bondage to our sin. So in that picture in your mind's eye of that slave market with the slave block, do you know who is the slave? It's you and me in bondage to that sin. And God says to his prophet Hosea, Says in Hosea 3, the Lord said to me, Hosea, go, show your love to your wife again. Show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes, part of the adulterous practices. And Hosea Hosea says, so I bought her. Redemption, that theological word, specifically means to buy back, to redeem. This is a picture of God's deep and abiding covenant love for us. Though we were wayward, though we were sinful, though we spiraled down and found the shackles of sin, and in many senses, a, a spiritual adultery that all human race, no one is righteous, no one is right, Paul is telling us, and God looks at us in the powerlessness And he says, I love you. I will buy you back. I will break the chains. Come, live with me. Hosea will say to Gomer, come and be my wife again. You are forgiven. And I love you a picture of redemption, a picture of grace. By the way, this is why the Spirit of God, one of the reasons the Holy Spirit is so important to Paul in the book of Romans that we'll get to in chapter 8 because he's going to say, now what the gospel does, what the love of God does is he breaks the power of sin in your life and then he will introduce a new power, His power, His presence, which is the Holy Spirit. So you can live not in the bondage to sin, but you can live in the power of my spirit, a different life. Right, so so she was living, Gomer was living this one life that was a spiral down in the power of sin and God says, I love you no more. I will break that power in your life. Whatever that sin and that temptation and that unction is, I will break that. Amen. Amen. And bring you into a different life of love and freedom with the Father a portrait of grace. Friends, have you allowed God to redeem you? Have you allowed the Lord to break those shackles of, of bondage around you? Or have you done it in one time, but you've put them back on and you continue to struggle? Or you, have you allowed the love of God to fill your heart and heard his invitation to live anew again. That's one picture, one portrait of grace, of love. There's a second word, a second picture, and that that word is related to the very next verse, 25, another beautiful yet deep word called atonement atonement, and that really comes from the ritual sacrifice of Israel, which is again somewhat foreign to us, is this idea that Israel would gather and come to the temple and part of the ritual, part of their faith was a sacrifice of animals, and again sin not only had this idea of a power to the sin but also a pollution to the sin that when we sin we pollute our lives and that's an issue because god is a holy and righteous god there is no pollution there is no sin in god and we and we think well well it's just a small sin And yet the testimony of scripture is just one sin is like a a yeast in a batch of dough, right? That that sin begins to penetrate our entire lives and there is this pollution of our lives. And we're walking kind of like old reference, Pigpen, Charlie Brown, right? Where you've got this cloud of dust around him as Pigpen is walking. Is that too old of a reference for you? Yeah, so this pollution, this idea of sin, and and we're lost, we don't have, God can't be in the presence of this polluted life. He's created us to live in righteousness. And so we have to deal with that pollution and the the ritual of of uh, of Israel was taking care of that pollution. Atonement means literally to make amends or reparation. So get in your mind's eye the second picture of grace and this idea in the ancient of times with the temple of 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 God there in Israel. And there would be imagine in your mind a lamb, not a hippopotamus right now, but but a lamb. And what would happen is the sinner, the polluted sinner would bring that lamb. And then before the priest the sinner would place the, their hands on the lamb. As the priest, do you know what the priest did? The severity of sin was in this picture. He would would cut the throat of the lamb, reminding the sinner uh, of the severity of sin in light of a holy and righteous God. And so in a sense, as the sinner, and, and who's the sinner? Who should you imagine as the sinner? You and me. As we place our our hands on the Lamb, our sin is given to that lamb, and that lamb pays the penalty of our pollution of our sin. Now, this is why that throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, the Apostle, or the, John the Baptist, when he first sees Jesus, he points to Jesus and he says, Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. From the very beginning. He was seeing this was the plan of, see, Israel had to keep doing that, had to keep the ritual or the cult open because uh, 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 everybody kept uh, uh, sinning and broken that pollution. And as soon as it's wiped clean, that we we would take on that pollution again with our unrighteous acts, right? And yet Jesus is given. The apostle Peter says this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, right? For the, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. Jesus was the only one who could, because he had no sin. That's a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times, for your sake. They just recently had a Tom Hanks movie on The Green Mile. How many have you have seen The Green Mile? Just out of here. Oh, more of you saw. Them. That's good. It's a fascinating movie about uh, the electric chair and, the, um, and what happened in that time. And the Green Mile was that death row. And the story has to do with this individual named John Coffey on death row, but actually he has a, a supernatural, miraculous powers for healing. And yet he is condemned on death row, they think he murdered two girls when in fact he was trying to heal them and save them. And through a supernatural events, Tom Hanks, who's over death row, who's got to lead all the prisoners to the electric chair, he knows that John Coffey is innocent. And in the movie, he's wrestling with this dilemma. And he says to his wife, this is the first time I have ever been scared of the fires of hell. How do I walk this innocent man, John Coffey, to the electric chair? How do I stand before God? And his wife says, talk to John. John. About this. And so we're going to have to turn it up really high, Ryan, because it's a little bit hard to hear, and watch this conversation. Tom Hanks has to lead John Coffey to the electric chair, and he doesn't know what to do. And listen to these words I have to ask you something very important now. I know what you're going to say, you don't have to say it. No, I do. I do have to say it, John. Tell me what you want me to do. You want me to take you out of here? Just let you run away? See how far you could get? Why would you do such a foolish thing on the day of my judgment, when I stand before God and He asks me why? Did I... Did I kill one of his true... miracles? What am I going to say? That it was my job. It was my job. You tell God the Father it was a kindness you done. most brilliantly acted scenes, I think, in Hollywood. Did you hear the question that Tom Hanks is wrestling with? What am I going to tell the Father on my day of judgment? There's this sense of accountability. Now, some of the miraculous power from John Coffey was given to Tom Hanks's character in the movie. And and he lives for a super long time. And he tells a friend at the end of the movie, he says, uh, this is my atonement. This is my atonement for leading John Coffey, an innocent man, to the electric chair. And friends, what scripture says is there is no atonement outside of Jesus Christ. There was no one without sin and without blemish. It's got to be Jesus once and for all. You and I cannot atone for our sins. We are too unrighteous. We we can't. It's got to be Jesus. And so just as that moment, as we're looking for atonement, we're trying to to, to get back that standing to remove the pollution of sin, God says, I will give my son, Jesus, and he will be the lamb. Your pollution will be placed on the cross. Friends, have you allowed him to be your forgiver? Have you allowed him to be your lamb without blemish? Have you allowed a, a neat um, definition or a way to think of this word at one? Uh, atonement is "at one mint." Pollution, sin, separates us from God. But because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, we get to now live at one with our creator, at one with God. A different kind of life. Final portrait of grace. And this has to do with a very important word, justification. Look at verse 26. Actually, it's all through um, the book of Romans and all through this section. But he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Scripture not talks about the power of sin. Scripture talks about the um, partition of sin or pollution of sin, and also it talks about the penalty of sin, that there is consequences, eternal consequences for our sin. So the final picture is that of a courtroom with a defendant who is being accused, who is giving account of their life. Who is the defendant in this final portrait? Have you gotten the theme yet? It's you and I, right? And there is a judge who is God the Father, and there is an accuser, the evil one of our soul. And he is accusing us. He is highlighting. He's talking about our hearts, our thoughts, our attitudes. He's talking about our careless words. He's talking about our actions. He's accusing us of all of our sin. And we're sitting there hearing this. And unfortunately, you know who's sitting next to us? That stinking hippopotamus is right there. And he's accusing us back and forth. And here's the dilemma that God, as the judge in his love, he wants to declare us not guilty. He wants us to declare us as righteous, which is what justification means, to be declared righteous. But here's the problem. There's a consequence of sin, and God is a God of justice. And if he were to declare uh, not guilty, those who are really guilty, where's the justice in that? That would be a violation of who God is and his justice and so we stand there condemned truly and it's at that moment that Jesus enters the courtroom and he says I will fulfill the justice of my father I will take the penalty of this person's sin. I will allow the penalty to fall full force on me. And so you, Father, can declare your children as righteous, as justified as forgiven you see it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we see where the love of God and even the justice of God meet together and fulfilled completely in Jesus Christ so that yes God does not violate his character of being a God of justice and yet fully fulfills that and we get to stand up and leave the courtroom and live lives in the power of the Holy Spirit, Amen. in the intimacy with the Father, fully justified, not carrying this condemnation, not carrying this guilt, but living set free those bonds on our wrists, broken and removed, that pollution in our lives, wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that penalty that was for us, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, so that we can live heaven today, kingdom life, for his glory and his honor and his praise. Can invite the worship team forward. This leads to this concept which Paul will not let go of, so we're just gonna touch it right now. That he says all of this is accomplished by one word, one concept, Do you know what that word is? It's not works. It's not the law. It's not anything you can do. It's simply by faith. And love tucked into faith. This idea... This, and, and think about faith for a moment with me. There is this beautiful humility in faith. It acknowledges uh, God's view of us as we stand in bondage of sin. It says, I get it, God. I, I understand. I, I receive. I am a sinner before you. We, we feel that. There, there's this beautiful humility in faith. And yet also there's this idea of faith is so personal. Faith is a a trust, right? That, That we say, I trust God what you have said about your love for me that I trust you, that that you will not leave me on that slave block, that you will not leave me condemned by my sin, that your love, just as you told your prophet to love his wife again, that I, I trust you in that love. I trust what you've said about me and that faith is a life Paul says this in Galatians 2.20 and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me I live it I live it I carry that picture just as I'll always remember the view from Pikes Peak, that vision there. I will remember what you've said. I'll remember the portraits of grace. I'll remember and I'll live from that place fully in your freedom, in your righteousness, in your love for me. Can we pray? wanted to give some time to the Holy Spirit, just a few minutes you to reflect. What's the predominant power in your life right now? Is it the power of sin? Is it the power of the Holy Spirit? You know, you get to ask Him to break whatever power of sin is in your life and replace that with the power of His Holy Spirit. Is there some of us struggling with guilt and a sense of condemnation? if people already knew and you're walking with that guilt you're walking with that condemnation you're walking you're not living a life with God but you're separate from God is the Holy Spirit wanting to break that sense of condemnation. Do you know, therefore, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. He's taken it on the cross. You don't have to carry that sense of guilt in your heart and your soul. You can let it go. Would you let it go this morning? And finally, for some of us, we're living in that sense of penalty, of constant unworthiness. And God wants to break those chains. He wants to give freedom in every area of your life. Freedom is there anywhere that you feel that sense of of bondage, this morning he wants to break those chains. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill afresh? Would you renew? Would you cleanse? Would you fill us with your power this morning? Would you do a holy and sacred work in our lives this morning? We give you that space now.